We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by BetOnline.ag. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, former NFL defensive back and holder of the coveted wide receiver draft rankings, Eric Crocker, what's going on, dude? Yeah, we need like the, like the little like soundboard where you can press it and then, like the, like the, the crowd like cheers for me or whatever. I could, dude. I need I need to keep working <laughs> on my introduction for you, and eventually we'll have like you know we'll have like I'll sound like Bruce Buffer, and you know, there'll be a crowd cheering. And yeah, do you do you um do you listen to Locked On Forty Nine ers with Brian Peacock? Yeah, I listen to it quite a bit. I've been so on it quite when, a bit. Listen to it quite a bit. All that stuff. Yeah, so when um, when he has uh, Nicholas Winkler, 
when Winky, yeah. when Winky Wink is Winky Wednesday or whatever, when he comes on, he has like a uh, he presses. I don't know. I don't know how he does it as the sound, but uh, he was on like the Price Is Right, uh, Nick Winkler. So um, and it was like Nicholas Winkler, come on down. And then it's like you know, <laughs> hit the little music. So every time Winkler comes on, like Peacock plays that. And I was like, you know, it's kind of kind of cool. But anyways, so I'm doing good, so man. You're, yeah. So you're saying I need to, to up the treatment of your introduction? <laughs> no, 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 I just I just found it unique. I found it cool. Now the pressure's on me. Next time we get on here, Crocker's gonna have some badass introduction. I gotta figure out how to put like audio. I like because obviously I don't want to just play audio on my phone and have it play through the mic and be all shishy. Yeah. So um, you know, I gotta figure out how if Zencaster lets me like you know, put audio in here. Like they have these little bum bums, these buttons up top. Like this says drums. I'm going to click it right now and see what it does. Right. Did oh, you hear that? Nice. Dude, I've never put, okay, here's a ballpark. See, I think that can kind of be like a little, like, you know, intro for me. Maybe not. Yeah. Like, like every time you say something stupid, I'll just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nah, croc. I'm not feeling that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're dramatic piano, and I, I don't know what else. I mean, it gives there's a little plus sign to add more things, so I'll have to dig through that and see what I can do. Really, oh yeah, that's really cool. up the production here at Striking Gold, and yeah, uh, man. that's what we're here this for. Is, this is dramatic piano. I'm gonna click that one. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what we could play when I start talking about Dante Pettis. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I clicked it again. Did it turn it off? Yeah, it did. Okay, so that was like a sad piano, almost like a, a Sarah McLaughlin commercial about animals that are being mistreated. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, yeah, maybe we'll have to step it up. I'll have to dig through here, see if I can come up with some crowd noises for, uh, you know. But now knowing that I can click stuff and make random noises, that's probably a bad thing because I'm going to do that way too often now. Oh, yeah. Definitely once you get uh, like in a little groove and you just boom, hit it, like, yeah. I know. I'm going to have a, a, a DJ soundboard up here. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to turn up. This is going to go crazy. Yeah. But all right. So uh, 49ers, 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 I guess everything's kind of at a lull right now. There hasn't really been anything newsworthy. I mean, there hasn't been any really significant free agency stuff. That's all kind of lulled down. And obviously the coronavirus has taken its effect on everything. They did announce that the draft was going to be entirely digital which is interesting we'll see i mean i'm interested to see you know where it's going to be streamed and i'm assuming it's probably going to be on nfl um you know and obviously everybody will have their own coverage for it but it's just going to be really interesting to see how everybody all the networks handle it with nothing to film you know what i mean like there's not there's not going to be players taking the stage there's not going to be people at a desk talking about the picks analyzing the next picks there's not going to be you know any of that i mean they'll have like a digital version of it you know maybe it'll look something like uh you know like that espn show around the horn yeah where like yeah. there's the host and then there's all the you know maybe it'll look something like that where there's and that's what everybody's been going to right so you know it, it's just going to be a weird weird draft and we're only a few weeks out you know less than a few weeks out so it, it's it's coming right around the corner and it's been a little different this year because like we were talking about a few weeks ago, you know, the 49ers season went so late and we were so engaged in that. And it, it, in the past, it's always, you've had that long, long grind to the draft. And this, this obviously this year's was cut, cut shorter because the 49ers did so well in the playoffs and went so late into the season. 
So it's just weird. Everything's weird, man. Everything is just weird out there right now. I'm sitting here like with the realization that I'm not going to be working for a few weeks or excuse me, a few months. And it's just, it's weird. It's weird, man. But anyway, so the biggest news that, that we could come up with. And if, if anybody's been following Eric Crocker on Twitter over the past few weeks, you'd know that he has just been the epitome of grinding like everything, you know, like tweets for days videos, breakdowns. I mean, the guy is just, he's probably gained like, like a thousand, 2000 followers in the past month, just because he's just putting in the work and that's yeah. how shit works. A little you know, over 2000, but yeah. yeah. Like I just looked at my analytics. That's how I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's been putting in the work, dude. And then like it, the, the best thing that Crocker does is he doesn't just stick to stuff that would apply to the 49ers. So there's just so much interest from, from anybody, really, anybody, anybody's NFL team that might be in the market for a receiver or a DB, you know, they've, they've probably come to know Crocker is the place to go. So, oh man, recently, Eagles and Packer fans. Oh, they're, right. they're, they're constantly in my mentions. So, those two and DMs and DMs. What, just at, what, let me, how many questions have you got with that start with any chance? Um, I don't get any chance. Uh, a lot of times it's just, who do you think would be a good fit? Like that, that's, that's like the question. I figured, I, I figured you'd be getting nothing, but any chance the Packers take this receiver at this pick and your answer should be, yeah, there's a chance. And then that's it. <laughs> My, I try not to like, because me, like, you know, me, uh, I, I don't, I don't look at myself as anything other than like just somebody that loves like to talk about football. Uh, so it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't know. It kind of weirds me out a little bit when people are like, Oh my gosh, you, repl- you responded like thank you, and it's like, dude, like, just a regular, <laughs> regular guy, <laughs> you know. Um, but it does get overwhelming at times because I get so many DMs, and I'm almost to the point where I've thought about like, should I close my DMs <laughs> because I get like just so many, and then I don't want to f- like feel bad for not responding to some of them. Um, so, yeah, that that. That's something that's kind of been going on really over the last, I'd say, like maybe month. Yeah, for sure. Well, dude, I mean, just keep it up, dude. You never know. Like I said last time, you never know what doors are going to open up just because you've obviously taken the time to make yourself, you know, a subject matter expert. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously you have some experience that makes you a bit more uniquely qualified than other people. But, you know, like I said, don't be surprised if some, you know, some team comes calling like, I, just, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. So that's what I'm saying. So I wouldn't be surprised if some team came calling. But anyways, back to the point. You uh, you recently released your, your like your your updated version of your top ten receivers. So what I want you to do is first, let, I mean, we could stick to the top top five for now, just because mm-hmm. obviously we got to we got to get to the 49ers, you know, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and everything they did in 2018. Um, but why don't you mention briefly your your former top five, and then just talk about what changes you made to the new top five and, you know, who, who fell out who came in and, and why. All right. And then can I also touch on, um, like, just a no. couple guys that, like, didn't make it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> All oh, right. Dude, the floor is yours, man. Do what you got to do. So my previous top five, um, and when I put out my initial, like, rankings, a lot of it was based on – yeah, I watched some of these guys, or I watched, I mean, I watched all of them to some extent, but I really didn't really kind of go deep into guys. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, I really know a lot about this guy, or I know a lot about that guy, or 
you know, I've seen this guy do this and that. And I kind of based some of my rankings off of that. And then some of the like guys I'd say from like six to 10, I probably watched a little bit more than even some of my guys in the top five. So um, my top five initially was uh, Brandon Ayuk at five. At four was T. Higgins. At three, C.D. Lamb. At two, Henry Ruggs. And at one, Jerry Judy. And I think that was pretty kind of like the consensus around like, you know, draft Twitter. Uh, I think a lot of people had those guys as kind of, you know, somewhere around their top five. Maybe Ayuk a little bit lower or, you know, but I think, you know, T. Higgins in that range or whatnot. But I'd say most people had that around that kind of like top five, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really mostly the, the top three was always the same. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, not necessarily the order. There, I know there were some people that had Henry Ruggs at number one and then, you know, CeeDee Lamb two or Jerry Judy number two. So, you know, and, and it kind of like, it, but the top three was the main consensus, kind of like what right. everybody agreed on. But, you know, and that's what's interesting about your new top five is you've even started to shake that up a little bit. So, but, but right. still keep going. So, so now going to, to the new top uh, five, um, really I did the top 20 and I was able to really, I mean, especially during these quarantine times, um, I've been able to really dive in to the film. And again, you know, I talked about earlier, you know, I watch guys and stuff like that, but the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. So this is the latest jump I've ever gotten <laughs> on the draft process. Right. Um, I didn't even watch, like, I didn't really dig into the guys until, like, maybe two weeks after the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, we're only really, like, a month and a half uh, removed from that. So, um, uh, from, like, me kind of starting this whole process. So, now I have a top 20. And I've watched a lot of these guys. And I really feel like I get a good, I have a good handle, like, on 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 who they are and, and, and what they do. And there are some guys from my initial t- uh, top 10, right? I didn't have Denzel Mims. And I had a lot of people say, oh, you got to watch Denzel Mims. You got to watch him. You got to watch him. You got to watch him. Then he went, he blew away the combine. And I'm like, man, you know, that's really impressive. Like, you know, a guy that's 6'3", 210, and, and he can fly like that is a little reminiscent of like a DK Metcalf or something, right? Um, he didn't make my top 10 this time. And I know there are a lot of people who are like, wait, what? Denzel Mims didn't make it. Um, I'll touch on him first. Denzel Mims, to me, he's really tight hit. He's really stiff. And I know there are going to be a lot of people, well, DK Metcalf was stiff. But their, their stiffness is a little different. Um, DK Metcalf, who was actually my wide receiver one in the previous draft class, he was quicker with his feet and his movements at the line of scrimmage. And he was much more powerful and explosive. So those things made it to where it would overcome exactly how stiff he is. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, you know, I know, even though he's stiff, you still, it's extremely hard to press him. And once he gets past you, he can really kind of like run away from you. And it was really powerful. He could move DBs out the way easily. Um, there was a lot to like about DK Metcalf. Mims, who I think maybe people want to put in that same tier. And they also um, want to throw out the fact that he had a 6.66 uh, three cone. But he's way stiff. And I know that's supposed to judge like your movement skills. But to me, it didn't, he didn't trick me. He's really stiff to the point where he barely bends his hips or his knees when he's like releasing or in routes. Um, so when it comes to Denzel Mims, you won't hear him in my top five. Uh, KJ Hamler, that's another guy that you know, people have really high. Uh, Chris Sims even had him in his top five. Um, I have KJ Hamler at 13. And for me, for the amount of passes that he dropped 
I feel like when you're that, when you're when you're tiny, he's tiny. He's a tiny dude, he's like 5'9, 175 or something like that. And that's fine. And he's, you know, he's supposed to be like a blazer, right? Like a, and you kind of would look at him like a Hollywood Brown or Deshaun Jackson. Uh, my biggest issue with him is he dropped a lot of passes. And for me, if you are gonna be tiny, you have to play big. You have to play big. And I I can't just have speed. It can't just be speed. Like you have to be able to bring the other elements of being able to play through contact and stuff like that. Because in the NFL, you're hardly just going to have guys let you get these free releases and be able to just run free and be able to just really use your speed. Uh, in the NFL, a lot of times they're going to try to take away your greatest strength. And if that's all you have to offer is speed, then you kind of become just more of a gadget guy, like a Tavon Austin kind of end up doing, right? I think Tavon Austin was even a better prospect. So uh, Hamler, he's he's down for me. All right, so um, I'm going to skip right over it and I'm going to oh, the last guy, because I am going to get to my top five. Um, Henry Ruggs. He's at number six for me. And there were a lot of people like, Henry Ruggs at number six? You're a clown. You don't know what you're talking about. This is my thing with Henry Ruggs. A lot, like I just said with Hamler, he doesn't have some of the same issues, but when you start to get in the top, uh, you know, top 10, top six, seven, it's all preference, right? Um, Hollywood Brown, I didn't have him in my top five last year, but he was the first receiver taken. Uh, when it comes to Henry Ruggs, he's he's not as small as people think. He's good 5'11", like 190 pretty much. Uh, really the same size as like a John Ross. Now, when I think when people hear John Ross, they think, they, they think of John Ross in like a negative uh, way, like, oh, bust, um, just a speed guy. John Ross wasn't just a speed guy. And the reasons why some of these quote unquote speed guys don't work out as well in the NFL is because you have to have more to offer and you have to be able to win with those other ways consistently, like a guy like Tyreek Hill has learned to do. Uh, when it comes to Henry Ruggs, I think that he's extremely tough. He's tough. I saw him stand in there to block uh, Delpit, who was running full speed from about 15 yards away, and he just stood there and took the whole force and actually like knocked dump, dump it over. I was like, what the hell? That's kind of weird. But um, uh, he's extremely tough. I've seen him go over the middle. He does a great job of like extending his, his arms and really giving up his body over the middle and not really uh, worrying about, oh, am I going to take a big hit? And I really appreciated that part of his game. Um, the, 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 the parts that I have a little concern with, he's a speed guy. He, he's, he's fast. He's a 4 two, seven. And any team, the reason why they're going to take him as high as he's going to go is because he has an elite trait. His elite trait is speed. Now, you have to be able to use that speed. And at the NFL level, like I mentioned Tyreek Hill, you have to be able to utilize that speed uh, consistently and, and, and be able to use it as a threat. So Tyreek Hill, where I think he was really good and what I think uh, Rex can get better at is Using your speed as a vertical threat to get the cornerback moving upfield and be able to sit your routes down. And I've seen guys like Isaiah Hodgins doing, do it, who's my number nine receiver, um, who ran a 4-6-1. Um, I've seen guys like uh, who else? Brian Edwards, who I'll get to, who, you know, he, he can run. I don't know how fast he is. Uh, even uh, uh, Jerry Judy, he's not known as a route runner, but he knows how to get vertical and sit his route down to get the cornerback going upfield. That's something that that Ruggs has to learn how to do. And not just that, his consistency with beating press, his consistency with running routes in general, he has the ability to do it. But he's going to have to work really hard to do it. And if not, you turn into more of like a Marquise Goodwin, 
who has the world-class speed, right? But he's just really inconsistent with his production and kind of hit and miss. I know everybody would go to that year, 2017, where he was almost a thousand yard receiver. Um, even then there were games where he'd have two catches, you know, but maybe one of those catches was a big game. And then if that's what you want from rugs, that's cool. But I'm not willing to take that at 13. Uh, so Henry rugs, he has to get a little bit more consistent with those things. Um, being able to separate, being able to, uh, win on routes other than, uh, a crosser, which he does well. He'll run a crosser and catch it and take it to the house better than anybody in the draft. But, I need you to be able to do the other parts more consistently. Otherwise, you end up being more like a Marquise Goodwin or a John Ross who is inconsistent and we're always saying, oh, we see it, but it's not there consistently. All right, so that's my spill on rugs. I had to go in depth because I know a lot of people have questions about that type of stuff. Um, now, at five, I started with Brian Edwards, receiver out of uh, South Carolina. And Brian Edwards, he's kind of a guy that has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. But unlike Ruggs, I don't really have any questions about Brian Edwards. He's big, 6'3", 215. Um, I had a buddy, he was messaging me about him. Like, that's he actually coaches at South Carolina. He's like, watch this guy. Watch him, watch him, watch him. He actually went all the way back last year. He was like, hey, if you want to get a good, if you want to get a jump on somebody early, kind of get it out there that you like this guy, Brian Edwards. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never watched him. Well, then I did watch him like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, wow. This dude has it all. He has the total package. 6'3", 215, he can run. He's not a blazer, but he can definitely get vertical on guys. I saw him get vertical on uh, C.J. Henderson, who ran the 4'3", and catch a deep ball on him, caught a post on him. I saw him outrun uh, Trayvon Diggs, who a lot of people maybe have as like a, you know, a fringe first-round draft pick, uh, ran right by him. Uh, he threatens uh, defensive backs vertically on the outside, uh, which is a big thing for me. Um, he ran good routes. He has nice twitch. He was extremely physical. The first play in the Alabama game, he threw Patrick Sertain, who's not a small corner, 6'2", 200 pounds. He just threw him. like He, he did like a little Debo Samuel end around and just threw him. It, it, I, I'll tweet it out tomorrow uh, or today when you guys hear this and so you guys can just see it. Threw him like five yards. Like He has the ball and threw the other guy. Um, he plays with this aggressiveness, man, and uh, his route running is really good. Hands really good. Tough, contested catch guy, can um, go up, 50-50 balls, um, runs good routes. He is the total package. I don't know how much of an elite athlete he is, but I know as far as his physical traits and what he brings, that's something that I feel like I know no matter what, what level, that's going to be something that's a little consistent. So I know I can, if I don't know anything about these guys, I just watch a film, I know I feel like I can count on what he does a little bit more than a guy like Ruggs. And that's why I have it, um, him ahead of Ruggs. Now, Ruggs might have a higher ceiling, and Ruggs can very well end up being the best receiver in this class. But there's a lot banking on that. Um, next, at number four, I have Michael Pittman Jr., which I almost feel like I like Brian Edwards a little bit more than Michael Pittman, but at 6'4", 220, very smooth, very fluid, really soft hands, um, brings everything, brings a vertical uh, presence to the game. Actually, I feel like he played faster than a Brian Edwards. Um, we'll go up top. Uh, they threw screens to him. His run after catch isn't amazing or great, but, you know, he can make a little guys miss and get a little bit extra yards. I thought he did that um, pretty well. Um, he ran away from DBs. He destroyed Utah. Utah has a top five defense in college football. Um, he was really good, man. There was a lot to like about him. Uh, he's a big body guy. 
had a had a really good, you know, like his uh, agility drills that he tested on at the combine. Those are things you want to see from big guys. And I thought he passed the test on all those. So uh, uh, Pittman, that's a guy I have at number four, a guy I really like. Again, he's another guy that's a fringe uh, first rounder. And some of these guys I, I have higher on my list, and I don't expect them to go before other guys. So Brian Edwards, he might go third or fourth round. I know Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rieger, uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, T. Higgins. I think those guys are going to go ahead of him, but I just like his game a little bit more consistently with what he brings. Um, same with Michael Pittman. At number three, I have Justin Jefferson, who uh, Justin Jefferson was number seven in my uh, previous rankings, but I watched him. And, I, you know, I started saying, okay, he plays a lot out of this slot. And he is, is getting free releases, and he has favorable matchups, you know. But then I noticed... He's a great inline blocker. He's a number three receiver. You don't have to take off the take off of the field. Um, he's willing to get in there and get dirty. Uh, he does run good routes. He has good speed. And I don't think he played at that 4-4-2, 4-4-3 speed he showed at the combine, but he plays fast enough to where he can get on top of guys vertically. Um, and my my comparison for him, I kind of threw out two names. It, one was uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. The other was uh, uh, Kendrick Bourne. And he's a higher level version of Kendrick Bourne. Like the Kendrick Bourne version that we really want. Like, oh, I just wish he was a little faster. Um, he's that. But he does a lot of the same things that Kendrick Bourne or a Juju Smith do, does, which um, he's extremely tough, extremely physical. He catches the ball, catches contested passes, 50-50 balls. He does all those things. And I think he's really consistent. When you add that element of his speed to it, I think he'd be great in any offense that, that uses a lot of tight splits, like the 49ers. Um, that want to use them in the slot, like the 49ers. You know, looking for somebody that's just, man, extremely tough and willing to do all the dirty work. Think of like a, a Trent Taylor that's 6'2", 200 pounds, and runs a 4'4'3". You know, everybody be like, sign me up for that, right? That's kind of what I see from uh, Justin Jefferson. Uh, and then that number two, uh, this guy, I mean, I've been pounding the table for him, banging the table, standing up on the table, whatever you want to say. I've been doing all that and like, ah, oh, Jerry Judy has to be the guy. He has to be the guy that the 49ers draft. This is the one, right? I mean, his route running is, oh, man, like he's so, oh, okay, there's a drop. Okay, whatever, because he does everything else so well, right? Oh, man, he defeats press, uh, but uh, he gets a lot of free releases because he plays in the slot. But uh, I don't care about that, man. The dude is just so electric. His run after catch is so good. Oh, he dropped that ball in contact. And then I just kind of started looking. I'm like, I think I'm seeing a little bit of red flags. And I was kind of ignoring them. And... I think that he's terrific. When you, when you get to the top two guys, you're splitting hairs. If the 49ers were to draft any of these guys, I wouldn't mind. I think they improve our 49ers our receiving court. But I started looking at some of the little things that he does not do. And I just kind of like, I tie everything back to like a mindset. And when you are a receiver and I see you kind of, okay, guys running at me and, uh, you know, I turn my body because I don't really want to take on the full brunt of the blow. I, you know, I kind of have an issue with that. It kind of tells me, oh, is he a little soft? I don't know. And then I see you go over the middle and oh, you alligator arm it. And I've seen some guys, I've seen Kendrick Bourne alligator arm it. But, you know, okay, I can look past that. But then I keep watching and, ah, oh, there's a guy on him and he drops it. Oh, there's another guy on him and he drops it. Oh, a guy kind of knocked him off his route and he dropped it. And now you look and I'd say... You know, out of all of his drops last year, which I think his drop rate was a little high, not too concerning or whatever, but I think he had like nine drops, something like that or whatever. He had, he had a good amount of drops. They're all when somebody's either being physical with them or there's a body around them. 
And to me, that speaks to kind of his mindset. And that kind of goes back to a 49er cue the piano music, a 49er receiver that the 49ers have right now. And that's uh, Dante Pettis, second round draft pick. 49ers traded up for him. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be more physical. <laughs> he loves cats. You know, you know, kind of reminded me of that guy. And from everything I hear, I, I just listened to a, a podcast with Mayoko, and he had uh, like a former Alabama receiver coach on. He said, "Hard is like works extremely hard. Sometimes I got to tell him to stop working as hard, and you know, I mean, like you know, like kind of tone it down. You're gonna hurt yourself, stuff like that. So he's an extremely hard worker and willing to put in the work. Um, and I think he's a guy, but." There are a few red flags that I, I, I just consider. And with the 49ers, they have a really good number two receiver, I think, in, in Debo Samuel. And maybe he can be a wide receiver one. But I think they need somebody else that they can play off of and let Debo do his thing. And is Judy going to be a guy that, you know, is like, hey, man, I, I can count on this guy anytime, any day. He's going to make all the tough catches. Game's on the line. There's a, somebody with a body on him. He's going to make that catch. And I, I have questions about it. And that's why now he's my number two guy. I really like him. And the 49ers draft him, trust me, I'll be happy. But I just have my questions. And I don't know how easy it is to change the mindset of a player. You can coach certain things up. I don't know if you can coach that. And we've kind of seen that with Dante Pettis. All right. And now going to, to my number one guy, who was previously my number three guy, uh, CD Lamb. And I had even went to the point where I was like, uh, I, I don't know if I would take him in the first round. I was just watching him and I'm like, okay, well, he has these big plays. And then, but oh man, look how he's running this route, man. And it's like slow and looks like, you know, and then it's like, dang, dude, speed it up. Your quarterback just is running for his life, trying to wait for you to get open. And um, so I kept watching. I'm like, well, oh man, extremely physical, aggressive, man, great after the catch. Okay, like nice run after the catch. Man, he's a 50-50 monster. And he showed up against Alabama in the championship. Showed it against uh, LSU. Like he shows up in big games. Okay. But man, his route running, like that's the one thing. And I'm like, let me, let me dig a little deeper. Like, let me just keep watching. And I kept watching. I'm like, hmm, watch UCLA. Oh man, got the cornerback going vertical, sat down. Ooh, stepped on his toes again, stepped on his toes again, stepped on his toes again, catching these whooping defensive backs. Okay, oh, I see him. Kind of, I watch guys even on run plays to just kind of see what they do. And I'd see him just kind of work his releases, get vertical, and then kind of set up the block. And I see the cornerback kind of stumbling. I'm like, oh, he's affecting this cornerback. Um, I talked to one of his former teammates, and his teammate was like, oh, yeah, uh, CeeDee Lamb all day over, over uh, Denzel Mims. And this is somebody that uh, played against Denzel Mims and really guarded him for an entire game. He's like, dude, it's not even close. And I kept watching, I kept watching, I kept watching it. And then now it's like, I see it. I, I think I had to change the way I looked at it. And kind of like what I just said about Judy. It's not so much what they can't do. It's, okay, if they're not that, can they improve on it? And I feel like with his route running, it was a little hit and miss, but I saw him do it. I saw him do it several times. And it's like, well, if I can just get him to do that all the time and not just several times, um, he has the route running ability. He has the quickness. He has the twitchiness. He has all that ability. But then what he brings that you don't really get from a guy like Judy, who, again, I really like. He's my wide receiver, too. Um, 
that toughness, man. I saw him blow up guys. I saw him come down, seal the edge for his quarterback to run off of his ass into the end zone and score. Um, I, you know, contested catches. He got that strong hands. And when I thought about, man, it's like, Eric, what do you want in a receiver? He's like, man, I want everything. I thought he brought that element. And his run after catch, beautiful. Um, I don't, you know, he ran a four or five. I, and I don't think Kyle cares about that. We don't know what his agility uh, scores would be. So, you know, I know the 49ers kind of weigh heavily on that. But just watching them, man, um, there was a lot that I slept on when I originally watched it because it didn't look like rugs. It didn't look like Judy. So I had to change the way I looked at it. And um, I was very impressed with what I saw. And I was like, you know what? I think out of all these receivers, he is the most complete. And, and you know, if he's the, you know, 49ers draft pick and he ends up by, you know, year two being the 49ers wide receiver one, wouldn't be surprised. And if you have wide receiver one, Lamb and Debo, and, you know, who knows what you get from other guys like a, a Pettis, right? And I, I compare Pettis to Judy, and I know a lot of people want Judy. It was like, hey, if Pettis ever wakes up, which I don't know if he will, right? It's a big question, if. But if he does wake up, he does a lot of the same stuff that Judy does. He's a terrific route runner. He has good run after catch. He has all, he can make guys, I mean, he does all those things. It's just inconsistent to the point where the 49ers had to sit him down. And, but if he ever, do do, if you ever get the most out of him, he is, uh, he'd be a tremendous third option for the 49ers. I mean, tremendous. If you talk about Lamb and Debo and what Pettis could be like that, that would be in a, a really good wide receiver core, really young, really good. So, um, that's the top five, uh, Brian Edwards at five, Michael Pittman at four, Justin Jefferson at three, Jerry Judy at two, and C.D. Lamb at one. Well, if I had a sound effect for like a round of applause, I would press it right now. So, <laughs> good listening, man. That's that's cool, dude. And uh, and anybody who's been listening to me for a while knows that you know, wide receivers probably like my you know if there there was a position I would ever be able to I don't know toot my own horn is being able to look at and recognize skill and, and, and actually be able to scout. That's probably the only one period. Like I, I feel like I could, I could watch wide receivers and, and give you a pretty good, uh, you know, F estimation or confidence level on, on what it took for that player to succeed. And, and I feel like in the past I've been right a lot. There's been a lot of guys that I've been into that have developed into really, really solid receivers and, kind of like I told you so's and stuff like that. So, you know, it, if there, it's, it's cool to sit here and listen to Crocker talk, you know, speak his mind and speak his piece. And because you just got to show confidence in, in your stuff. And I know that that's a huge thing among the scouting community. It's just having faith in your own abilities and your own, you know, ability to recognize talent and, and trust your instincts and, and allow, or, you know, and on that, on that note, trust your in instincts, but allow yourself to, allow your mind to be changed. If you, you know, you begin to change your own mind or somebody else changes your mind or, you know, shows you something about a player that they, that they didn't really see before and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's cool. You, you know, if you're listening out there and you think it's weird that his top five changed or his top 10 changed so much, you know, you should realize that that's a positive quality. And, and, you know, there's still two more weeks before the draft. I'm sure stuff within Crocker's top 10 or whatever will change some more. It's just a matter of, you know, the, the fact that, you know, yeah, you want to have conviction about your thoughts and your feelings and your evaluations, but at the same time, you, you should never, you know, and this is what's wrong with like modern day politics is you should never be unwilling to hear another opinion or change your mind about something or be open to the idea of something different. 
you know, that's what's good about things changing like that. And with me, you know, and, and Crocker and I obviously will text each other and we'll talk receivers and stuff like that. And I had just told him like a week ago, like, like Judy's still my wide receiver one, but man, I feel like CD lamb is kind of creeping up. And this is, was at a time when I knew that, that Crocker was a little more down on lamb than he was, than I was, or than most were. Um, and, you know, I, I was like, dude, it, and and pretty much by the at the point where Crocker made him his number one to me, it was kind of like they were like a one A and one B for me. Um, I feel like Judy and Lamb are similar in some ways. You know, they're, they're very close to the same size, but they both are like what one is strong at the others weak at. Like if you could combine CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, you'd probably have like Julio Jones, you know, like uh Jerry Judy runs incredible routes and he gets open by a mile and he creates so much space and he's so good at shifting himself around in tight spaces to, you know, he had so many catches where like there'd be a DB getting ready to make the tackle and he would just do the, like put on the brakes or shuffle left, shuffle right. And he could just make miss, make guys miss in the smallest of, of spaces. And they were just, excuse me, there were all these little tiny glimpses of how insane his movement ability is and his ability to, to manipulate. That's a big thing for receivers, your ability to manipulate a DB to make him think you're doing one thing. And obviously you have plans to do another. And then you have CD lamb. Who's just, who isn't nearly as refined in routes as Jerry Judy, but he, he has the, the, the dog mentality, the physicality, the 50, 50 ball that, that you wish Jerry Judy had. Cause like Croc said, a lot of his drops were when the DB was actually around him and he had to make kind of a contested catch or a, you know, a, one where he had to contort himself a little bit more. And, you know, so to me, it's a one, a and one B type of thing. And I feel like both receivers have the ability to be very, very, very successful. I mean, I can see the comparison to Dante Pettis for Jerry Judy and the fact they both run good routes. I feel like Jerry Judy's a bit more of a, he's more of a dog than Dante Pettis. Like you have Dante Pettis, then you have a, a pretty big gap of dogness, and then you have Jerry right. Judy, and then you have a decent gap, and then you have CeeDee Lamb type of deal. Like, you know, I, like you said, I feel like Jerry Judy is all, already what what Dante Pettis is ceiling or, or what he could hope he would be. Mm-hmm. You know, if but obviously Jerry Judy's not in the pros yet, and and things change. You know, and and we'll he's see. He's a better if, prospect. Like that's right. how they do it. Like it's a much higher level. Um, version of what you even are expecting that you're getting right away. Like you said, right. you don't know what's going to happen when they get to the league, but even when Dante Pettis was drafted, we, he was never viewed in the same light as a Jerry Judy. No, not, I mean, not even close. And there's, there were guys out there like Brad Kelly, who, if you don't follow, you should follow him. He's a good dude. Um, he, he was really, really high on Dante Pettis, but yeah, no one, I mean, he was seen as like a third third round guy, fourth round guy. A lot of people were surprised when the 49ers took him where they did. It wasn't like surprised to the point of thinking it was a bad pick or anything, but so, you know, it's, it'll be interesting. And, and of course there's a chance that the 49ers don't even go, you know, one, they could be taken before they get there at 13 or the 49ers feel like there's another position that's more pressing. You know, Joe Staley is, is about to head out and ride into the sunset. That could be this year. That could be next year. So they could be looking at tackles. They've already started looking at tackles. They could, you know, there's a bunch of different positions that could creep in there. You know, I, I feel like every year or, you know, every few years, everybody gets in their head what the obvious pick is. Like when they took Mike McGlinchey, there was nobody that thought they were taking Mike McGlinchey. You know, I, I think that kind of Matt Mayoko started to catch wind of it, you know, like a week before the draft and, and stuff like that. And, 
but everybody assumed the pick was going elsewhere and, you know, stuff like that happens. So I don't want anybody out there to get their mind so wrapped around Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, whatever, that when they don't take that, they're just absolutely heartbroken and whatever. But And just don't forget, they have another first-round pick. Um, so anyways, that's good stuff, dude. I appreciate you talking that. I mean, I... I um, I pretty much agree with almost everything you got. You had to say, I mean, I, I don't feel s- enough conviction about any of them to feel like I need to, to go to bat for one of them. I do feel like Jerry Judy's still the, the, the best for me just because my first go-to trait for a receiver is their routes. That's just, to me, it shows a level of appreciation for the position, you know, the, a, a, a desire to perfect your craft. If that makes sense. Like there's, Route running is very, very coachable, and, and anybody can learn it at any phase of their game. But to me, somebody who runs good routes, and especially at the level of Jerry Judy, has shown me that they are willing to study, they're willing to watch tape, they're willing to learn what it takes to truly manipulate defenders and get that open. You know, so it just it speaks to a type of mentality. Now, is he the is he the the the, the beast, the physicality, physical beast of? Of Lamb? No, not really. But at least you know that the guy has has devoted himself to the position enough to become that good. I feel like Jerry Judy, if he was a week one starter, which he should be for when he's going to get picked, I feel like he'd immediately be one of the best route runners in the NFL just because of what I've already seen. He's just – he's a freak. But So anyways, uh, we got to get moving because obviously our, our goal today was to break down the 49ers um, – you know, we last last week we started talking about John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and what they did in 2017 to get this team rolling. Well, we're moving on to 2018 this year, and or excuse me, this week, and we're going to talk about what moves they made in their second year to kind of, and a lot of them were very pivotal in in, in getting the 49ers to where they were this last year. But before we get there, uh, we got to get a quick word in for for Bet Online, um, our our prime sponsor for the Blue Wire Network. And with, with currently no NBA, no NHL, or no MLB, you might think there's absolutely nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino, poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. So everybody who's stuck on home has full access to everything BetOnline does. Make sure you use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline is your online wagering solution. So, 2018. It was a pretty busy year for the 49ers, and it was busier than I thought it was. I, you know, I, I, with the way that things have gone over the past three years, at least to me, everything's kind of started to blend together, and you kind of forget what moves were made and when they were made, and you know how long it's been since this player's been on the team, how long it's been since that player's been on the team, when they signed him, all that stuff. So. But just going through the, like I said, if you, if you weren't listening last week, we're just diving into the personnel moves that the 49ers front office has made that has put them in the position to be as successful as they have been. 
It's kind of like a review slash, you know, breaking it down slash a little bit of like, you know, rating and, you know, judging, I guess you could say. But for the most part, it's just kind of going through their moves and kind of making it all make sense as to how the 49ers in three years were able to go from the number two should have been the number one overall pick to competing for a Super Bowl. And that's, that's not common. It's, it's rare. So, you know, it, going through this stuff and, and kind of breaking it down is it's important in the fact that just to figure it out, like, like, and, and, and as you go through all these moves, you, you, they start to make sense and they start to kind of, you see why they did it and what that player ended up doing for this team. And one of the very first things they did in 2018 was sign Jimmy Garoppolo to a five-year contract extension, which at the time made him the highest quarterback in the NFL. And I know at least for myself and Crocker that we have no, we have, we have had, and we still have no problems with that contract and what they and when they did it and how they did whatever you want to say about it I don't have any problems with it. Jimmy Garoppolo is now I have over the cap right here. I think he's the 11th or 12th highest paid cornerback in the NFL. So in less than 2 years he went from at the time of the contract was offered he was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL and now this year he's like 10th or 11th. And you know next year it'll be even less than that. So and I now I'm not under the delusion. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a top five quarterback. I think he's probably like a fringe top ten quarterback, maybe somewhere between like twelve and eight, you know, somewhere in there. But and I and I fully believe that paying that kind of money to a quarterback of that level is completely warranted, and that's what everybody has to do. The biggest thing I would say is that if any of the other thirty-one NFL teams had Jimmy Garoppolo, they'd be paying him the same amount of money the 49ers are. You, if not more, just given the market now. You just have to have a quarterback that can do this stuff. You have to have a quarterback that can win. Like we talked about last week, last week when George Kittle was on ESPN and, and how he went to back for, bat for Jimmy Garoppolo. And you have to have a quarterback that's capable of winning you games. Obviously, you don't want a quarterback that's losing you games. But you have to have a quarterback that's capable of winning games. And there were several games throughout the season, big games, pivotal games, games that decided their, their playoff standing that Jim Garoppolo won for the 49ers. So, I mean, is there anything new you want to bring to the table about Garoppolo, Croc, or is, is have we touched on that enough? Yeah, I think we, you know, I mean, I guess uh, the only thing I'll say is, man, uh, dude faces a ton of criticism. Um, and I, what's I think funny only- you say that too, it's a, a guy who really like doesn't say shit and he doesn't talk smack and he doesn't tout himself like as being the bee's knees, but he still faces a ton of criticism. Doesn't say anything, you know, just goes out there and, try, you know, tries to do his job and, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, everything that he does is questioned or there's a reason why this happened or why this didn't happen. And, you know, you know like we touched on a little bit, little bit last week, you know, took over a team that was one in nine and won five straight games. But now nah, that's not, nah, 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 you know, he couldn't be the reason why that happened, you know. And then they talk about, you know. Oh, well, yeah, of course, he got Debo Samuel, and, you know, they have a good defense, so a good run game. But it's like, man, when we didn't have that, he still won. So um, clearly the team is better with him than without him. And um, like you said, you know, I, I don't know if he's a top 10 or top 12 talented quarterback as far as, you know, arm, mobility, you know, all those type of things. But I know he wins games, and I know uh, more times than not when he's needed, 
and called on to to make plays, he does it. I feel like the Super Bowl was an outlier, and everybody wants to use that as a reason to say, you know, why he can't be the guy. Or go back to, you know, the first couple of play, uh, playoff games where, you know, his numbers uh, weren't very good or he, you know, he played a little bit more poorly. But, you know, I just think, you know, with everything, I always look at, you know, stuff is, you know, from year to year, I expect guys to get better. Um, from, you know, year to year, I expect Jimmy to have a better grasp on the offense and be more efficient. And I think for his first year in the offense, for it's something that was supposed to be extremely difficult. And we were all asking the question, right? Is this considered his second year? Um, I, I think that he's he's trending in the right direction. And it started there, right? It started 2018. And um, he, had, he even had his lumps, you know, to start that year. And there were a lot of people that, uh, you know, dog him for that. So, yeah, I, I know I'm kind of going off on the Jimmy Garoppolo tangent. I don't know if he's the 12 best talented quarterback in the league, but I think he plays at a top 10 level. Yeah, it's a good way of saying it. And and obviously things didn't, you know, Jimmy, and we didn't talk about this very much last week, I realized. I think we did mention it, but obviously one of the biggest moves, if not the biggest move for the 49ers in 2017 last year, or last week, was trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. 49ers traded a second-round pick for Jimmy G, and he started the last five games of the season and lit it up and was, was really, really good. And Kyle Shanahan, who, you know, I trust to – make smart decisions, decided that Jimmy Garoppolo was worth a contract right then and there. They didn't put a fifth year on him. They didn't mess with that. They just went straight to signing him to a, you know, a, a big time deal. And, and the rest is history. Now, obviously the 49ers didn't get much Jimmy Garoppolo in, uh, in 2018, he tore his ACL against the chiefs in week three, I think it was. And um, that, that the rest was, was history. And you, you know, if anything, that was a good thing because the 49ers, you know, you got to see what the 49ers would be like without Jimmy G. And the 49ers got themselves got to set themselves up to draft one Nick Bosa. So, it was, you know, everything kind of works out in the end. But at the same time, you know, you will always have that to fall back on. And, and, and almost, you know, obviously the 49ers added some pieces after 2018 that helped them win in 2019. But the team was, was very, very similar in 2018 and you got a really good glimpse of what that team was without Jimmy Garoppolo. So I always, you know, that's always a good thing. And so moving on for 2018, um, you're in, you know, right now we're looking at February and that's when they re-signed Jimmy Garoppolo. Another interesting move was they, they re-signed center Daniel Kilgore to a three-year contract extension. And what's crazy about that is almost exactly a month later, they traded him. So at one point they signed him to a three-year extension. And then a, a month later they traded him to the Miami Dolphins. I think they swapped seventh round picks. So that was just a little weird. I, I you know, obviously things happen and things go on behind the scenes that you just don't know, but that was a little weird. And I and really, what ended up happening was, is they signed Daniel Kilgore, who was a respectable center. And you can tell that Weston Richburg was one of their primary, like free agent targets. Uh, you know, the center from, I can't – what team was he on before the 49ers got him? Was it the Giants? Giants. Right. Okay. So you can tell he was one of their big free agent targets, but they weren't sure they were going to get him. So they re-signed Daniel Kilgore, and the day after they signed Weston Richburg in free agency, they got um, – they traded Daniel Kilgore. So, I mean, I guess if you look at it like that, you can see what their thinking was and why they were doing what they were doing. 
You know, and Weston Richburg was a huge, huge signing. He signed a five-year, $47 million contract with the 49ers. And he's dealt with some injury issues. He's missed some significant time. Um, but when he's been on the field, he's been really good. And he and he's a very respected player amongst the offensive line guys that I follow on Twitter. Um, it's just a matter of him staying healthy and being out there. And, you know, obviously he suffered another injury at the towards the end of of 2019 and he's not and he's supposed to and he's expected to kind of he's still expected to be ready for the offseason program but who knows how all that's going to go with the way things are right now so Weston Richburg was was one of the 49ers biggest free agent signings and obviously that coupled with the trading of Daniel Kilgore now another or the other big free agent signing at the open opening of free agency I haven't talked about another one yet was signing um, Jarek McKinnon, running back Jarek McKinnon, formerly of the Vikings, to a huge deal. Now, I'm trying to they, – they recently restructured his contract to where essentially he's getting like a, a veteran minimum with the 49ers. And I'm trying to go back and look at what were the exact numbers for when he initially signed. Um, I'm trying to find it right here. Four years, $30 million. And that was in, you know, obviously in March of 2018, which was a huge number for running backs. And well, before we, before we get too far into it, what was your first reaction croc when the 49ers signed McKinnon to that much money? Um, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I, I think that was at a time where the 49ers had an abundance of, of cap space. So, you know, for me, it was just, you know, get talented players, you know, and the 49ers, I thought they just needed to add talented players. That was a year coming off of, you know, Having you know Carlos Hyde, somebody that you felt didn't really fit what you wanted to do, and, and then going to get Jeremy McKinnon and having to outbid, I think the New York Jets to get him. So you know it was, I didn't really care about the money or whatever. Um, you know five million a year, or, you know six million a year, whatever it was, um, as long as it didn't hurt the 49ers moving forward with cap space. And I think from that standpoint, it didn't. Right, no, and it it, it was still a time. Obviously, in 2017, they had a ton of cap space, and they had to kind of overpay some people. But then, essentially, they had just as much cap, not just as much, but an abundance of cap space in 2018 as well. So whoever they wanted, they were going to have to to pay for. And um, the 49ers obviously got into a little bit of a a bidding war for Jarek McKinnon. I want to say I remember the the Jets being mentioned in in competition for that. I can't remember all the teams that were mentioned in competition for him. But unfortunately for the 49ers, they have still not seen what Jarek McKinnon can do in Kyle Shanahan's offense. He had a really good offseason. Uh, I was there that training camp. I watched him compete in training camp fully healthy for, you know, the entire two weeks that's open to the media. And he looked good. And he was consistently making plays. I remember talking to Chris Biederman about the fact that, like, every practice, McKinnon would catch, like, three or four passes. Him and Juice, Juszczyk, uh, would catch, like, like three or four practice, uh, passes every practice. And each one of them would go for, like, 10 to 15 yards. So you really saw this, like, this prevalence of just a short passing attack that would continually move the chains. And, and what, what, what the 49ers liked about Jarek McKinnon is he's a decent running back. When you're looking at a running like traditional in between the tackles running back, he's decent. He's okay. But what he is, is essentially a wide receiver coming out of the backfield. He ran, he runs routes as good as some of the 49ers receivers and he has great hands. I, I always admired that about watching him in practice. He has great hands. He catches the ball like a receiver. He catches it out and away from his body. 
Um, he just, you can tell he has a lot of confidence in his hand and his ability to catch the ball. And then when he tore his ACL in one of the last practices before the 49ers started their season, you can tell it was a huge blow to Kyle Shanahan. Huge blow. Like, he essentially said himself that, like, a third of his playbook was – offensive playbook was scrapped because Jarek McKinnon was hurt. And that doesn't mean that he didn't slowly start to institute some of those plays with some of the other running backs once he got a better feel for the type of stuff they could do. But you could just tell by Shanahan's reaction that it just changed so much. And that's why the 49ers are willing to, you know, restructure his contract and keeping him, keep him around despite the fact that he's been struggling with this ACL injury over the past few years is because – Shanahan has such an admiration for his skill set and wants to see what he can do in his offense. Will Jarek McKinnon, when he comes back, be like the Jarek McKinnon that the 49ers signed for that big contract? Uh, it's doubtful, but we'll see. He's had plenty of time to get healthy, and he's been posting all kinds of videos of him working out and, and staying in shape. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. After seeing him in that training camp, uh, you know, I want to see him in a game and, and what Shanahan has, has up his sleeve. But the biggest 49ers free agent signing in 2018, and this was before technically free agency opened, was one Richard Sherman, who they signed to a three-year deal. And at the time, it was just crazy because Richard Sherman was obviously the mortal enemy of the 49ers, the, the figurehead of the 49ers' like lack of success, or I'm not going to say lack of success, their inability to, to grab the brass ring in – you know, during the Harbaugh era, had a lot to do with Richard Sherman, especially when you think about that play where um, Kaepernick tried to hit Crabtree on the fade with Sherman in coverage, and Sherman jumped up and made a hell of a play, tipped the ball into the air, and it was caught by uh, Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith, yeah. yeah. Basically ended the game. And so that is what – and, you know, him telling me that he's – you know, Aaron Andrews, he's the best cornerback in the game, and trying him with a SAR receiver like Michael Crabtree and <laughs> – all that stuff, like that was everything to the 49ers. That was what Richard Sherman was, you know, eating a Thanksgiving turkey on the 49ers field. This oh, was Richard man. Sherman. And now he's a member of the 49ers. And in my personal opinion, probably one of the most, one of the most valuable 49ers additions, like maybe like a top three, if you include all their draft picks, maybe like a top three addition for me. For John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, like obviously Richard Sherman still played really well. He's still been an elite cornerback. Has he? You know, is he the same? Eh, probably not. Obviously, people get older, injuries. He tore his Achilles, all that stuff. But to me, he still played great on the field, and what he represents off the field is something I never realized existed until he got to the Forty ers because. From this lens, the persona of Richard Sherman was just everything I just talked about. It, it wasn't about the person he was off the field. It was about the person he was on the field and how he plagued the 49ers. But, you know, being sitting where I'm sitting and watching Richard Sherman work, the dude is just a pro's pro in every way, shape, or form. He's a leader. He establishes the tone in that locker room. He, 49ers win or lose, he was always at the podium, willing to do a press conference to talk about what his team did and didn't do well. He was always giving shout-outs to other players. Even that, during the training camp press conferences, he was talking other people up. You know, he was talking about Emmanuel Mosley. I mean, I can't say that to Croc because Croc's always been a Mosley guy, but he was talking about talking up Mosley before he was anywhere near sniffing a starting role. And he has just been one of the most impressive 
49ers. I've had the pleasure of, of covering in my like little short career as a, as a writer. He just impresses me in every way, shape or form. So to me, signing Richard Sherman and they, they immediately, it was like the day after he was released by the Seahawks. There was, you know, news kind of broke that Kyle Shanahan was meeting with Richard Sherman at a local Bay area restaurant. And it, and then boom, it was like the next morning or that night and they signed him. And I, I just like, I just couldn't be more impressed with the guy. And I think that that is one of the best moves so far of the John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan era. What do you think, man? Yeah, nah, I think it, he means a lot, to, definitely to the to the turnaround of this team. And, um, you know, I've discussed this offseason, like, man, you know, I, I think just as a pure corner, which is crazy because his numbers are amazing. But when you just watch him, you can kind of tell, you know, uh, there's, you know, it's not 100% the same. I think he's he's kind of scaring quarterbacks more off reputation. Um, and so it was just like, ah, like, you know, would you be willing to move on from him, you know? And I think at this point, uh, you can't just because of how much he has meant just to the turnaround of this team. Um, I think he's exemplified uh, a level of of, uh, of uh, professionalism to the defensive back room. And, and I think he's the vocal leader of the team. I think when he says stuff, um, everybody listens to him. Um, I, I think he hasn't just helped the secondary. I think he's helped an entire defense as well as the coaching staff, uh, when you watch him, especially during practice when, you know, cornerbacks come off the field, he's the first one to come over and talk to them, whether it's in practice or the games. Uh, he just means so much, man, to to this turnaround. I think he had a huge hand in uh, the 49ers kind of turning that corner and, you know, getting uh, the type of play that they got out of, you know, um, Mosley or, you know, even Witherspoon when he was playing at a high level last year. Uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, Richard Sherman always in these guys' ear, always coaching them up, you know, and can you imagine if they didn't have that guy, if they didn't have that that veteran to come talk to them and, and tell them what to expect, what to look at, you know. I, I heard Richard Sherman talking to uh, Emmanuel Mosley after Mosley's interception. It was like, hey, remember, you know, we went over that, you know. The, those are things that uh, is, it's really hard to kind of like value from like a film standpoint, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, when you're just watching film, like how much this guy means. But, you know, I think inside that locker room, man, he he means the world to not just the team, but, you know, just to really the turnaround of this organization, just bringing that a different type of uh, mentality and professionalism to the team. Yeah, couldn't couldn't send it better myself. So, I mean, it, he has one year left on his deal. Um, next year is technically, or this coming, you know, 2020 is technically his last year on his contract. I, I, I mean, I really have no clue what the future holds for Sherman and, and whether or not he'll stick around after that or, you know, whatever happens, but for what they, for what they did or for what, you know, for what they gave him, what they signed him to. And, and obviously he took so much crap for, for signing that deal. He signed that was really incentive laden. And, and last year he hit in 2000. Was it last? Yeah. I don't, was that this year? The, the year they went to the Super Bowl when he hit all in his incentives and talked all that shit on Twitter. I yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. So obviously the dude is just, it was he, he made the all pro team. Right. So he's yeah, he's still doing his thing and and he's still an impressive player on the field. It's just man, I was just blown away for the by the type of person I discovered off the field. So all right, moving on. Um, you know, some some kind of like if you're looking at 2018, some kind of like, you know, maintenance deals, they they 
they, they signed Raheem Moster to his one year exclusive rights tender. And obviously his, his last off season after the 2018 season, he signed a, a three year deal with the 49ers that, and obviously he's just blown up into like their guy at running back, or at least for the most part, he's the clear leader of the pack right now. We'll see how that goes, but you know, they're, their willingness to keep him around was obviously the right decision, and and that's impressive for a, a regime who didn't have any connection to Mostert. He was here before John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan took over. He'd been cut and signed by like six different teams before the 49ers, so I'm sure that they probably had discussions about whether or not he should still be there, but Raheem earned his mark as an excellent special teams player, and he just kind of bided his time and, and waited for a chance to break out at running back, and, and boy, did he. So... You know, keeping him around was a great, a great. Uh, you know, it, it, the fact that they didn't cut ties with him says a lot about you know this or, the the willingness of the organization to kind of wait things out and see what players are capable of turning out. You know, and and in another kind of a willingness to stick stick with somebody, they right before they signed Richard Sherman, they signed Marquise Goodwin to a three year extension. Now, obviously, on the flip side of things, that really hasn't worked out. But at the same time, if you consider it in context, there's no way the 49ers couldn't lock Goodwin up for a certain period of time, whether that was two, three, four years, whatever, because he was just coming off his like breakout year and he looked really, really good. Uh, in 2017, he had 56 catches for 962 yards and he averaged 17.2 yards per catch. So he was lighting it up and he looked to me like I said, somebody who takes a little bit of pride in evaluating receivers, what I saw from him during that season and what I saw from him the offseason prior, I said, this is a guy who was developing into a number one receiver. This dude has finally got his opportunity. He's put it all together. He's got elite speed, and now he started to develop elite routes, and his hands were getting better. And I just felt like Marquise Goodwin was about to break out. And obviously, he, you know, he's started suffering some injuries. He suffered a lot of personal, uh, you know, struggles between him and his wife trying to trying to have um, children, uh, multiple miscarriages, really, really heartbreaking stuff. And obviously, the guy had a lot going on off the field, but he just really hasn't quite panned out how the 49ers would have hoped. You know, he only had just under 400 yards and 23 catches in 2018. He did have four touchdowns, which is good. And then this last year, you know, at a time when the 49ers were en route to a Super Bowl, he only had, you know, 12 catches for 186 yards. So he did fight through some injuries in there, and he did, you know, like I said, deal with some personal issues. But obviously that contract hasn't quite worked out how the 49ers would have hoped. Now, it was only a three-year, $18 million deal. They didn't give him a ton of money. But if you go to the team as a whole this year, Marquise Goodwin is like the 10th highest paid player. He has like a $5 million cap number this year. So I I don't know what they're going to do with him. They can save over $3.5 million if they cut him. I don't know if things change if they make it a post-June 1. Uh, they do. They save over $4 million if they make it a after-June 1 cut. So, I mean, I could see them looking into a trade. I, I don't see Marquise Goodwin remaining on the roster just because he's just making too much money. They could always try to restructure him, but they're just he's just making too much money for his his role in the offense now, which which isn't much. You know, he if you're not on the field in the Super Bowl playing a role, then you know, 
Obviously, that'll kind of, you know, basically the 49ers in the Super Bowl was Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, and Kendrick Bourne. And that was really the case for, like, the latter half of the season. And Marquise Goodwin kind of faded out. There were even some games where he was healthy but inactive. Uh, it might have only been one game or, you know, maybe two. But that just kind of tells you where things are going there. And I, and I really just – I don't expect him to be on the team, whether it's a trade or whether it's a release. I don't know. But I don't really – kind of expect him to be be hanging around too much longer. Um, and that's not necessarily, a, you know, any disrespect to him. It's just kind of the way things develop. But, all right, now moving on to the next big step. Those are kind of the, the major free agents. They did extend uh, Jaquiski Tart. They signed him to a two-year extension, like the day before the draft, um, which obviously was a great move. I mean, he's, he's kind of struggled with some injuries, but when he's on the field, he is a very, very, you know, strong – what am I going to say? A strong, strong safety – He's a strong safety, and he just brings an element of, to that defense that you can tell when he's gone. That's you know that's a huge compliment for a player, is you can tell when he's not out there and what the defense misses. And he's kind of got a versatile ability to to be both you know he could he could be a back end type of free safety or he can come down and lay the wood. So, but anyways, the big part of you know another big element to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan in 2018 was obviously their draft class and their first pick. At number, was it number 10 and the Raiders got number 11? Or was it at 9 and the Raiders got 10? Because remember, they had to flip that yeah, coin. Yeah, the 49ers had 9, Raiders had 10. Right. And so they had to they had to flip a coin because basically every type of tiebreaker between the 49ers and the Raiders' schedule was a wash. They were both the same record, same strength of schedule, same all that stuff. So it came down to a straight-up coin flip, and the 49ers won, and they took – Mike McGlinchey. And what's funny about that is, what did you say his name was, Croc? Colton something? What's the guy? That's right. Okay. And that's who the Raiders took. They took a tackle right after the 49ers. And I can guarantee you, the Raiders were sitting there staring at Mike McGlinchey. And that was their pick. And the 49ers kind of surprised and went tackle um, right before the Raiders. And the Raiders ended up going Colton Miller. And I know he had a really rough rookie season. I'm not sure how it was last year. So the 49ers went went with Mike McGlinchey, who has worked out. I mean, he's a he's a you could tell he's he's a solid pro. He's mature beyond his years. He's like immediately and just for the sole amount of content we get from him and Joe Staley has been hilarious. And he's worked out really well. He's a little bit better in the run game than he is in the pass game, but he's been good. I don't think there's anybody out there that's questioned that pick or thought that wasn't the way to go, considering the results. Now, obviously. I'm gonna, and I know you you wanted to talk. I think you might have talked. You might have already said your piece, but their next pick that they traded up to get, they they parted with the second round pick, or excuse me, a third round pick to get him is is wide receiver Dante Pettis, and that hasn't really worked out. Do you have anything like you mentioned earlier? But did you have anything else you wanted to say on Pettis? Yeah, you know, I I, I said that this was a big off season for him, and you know, kind of getting out of that doghouse and really, you know, he showcased the ability. I know a lot of people want to say, you know, oh, it's Kyle Shanahan doesn't know how to evaluate talent at receiver in the draft. You know, well, oh, Debo Samuel, who's an outlier. Well, I'll challenge him and say, I think he's he he has evaluated the talent just fine. Um, Trent Taylor, really good, can't stay healthy. It's hard to evaluate that, right? Uh, Dante Dante Pettis, really good, but you know, maybe there's something going on mentally, you know, but when, when Dante Pettis was on, we saw the ability, whatever they saw on film, we've seen him display that in the NFL. Um, he did it over his last, what, five or six games his rookie year where you 
at the very least, saw he has the talent to be good and productive in the NFL. And since then, I don't know what has happened. <laughs> I don't know. I can tell you. But he has the talent. So, yeah, you know, they, they traded up for him. Um, you know, this was a big year for him, big offseason for him. And coronavirus has kind of robbed guys of being able to kind of showcase themselves before, excuse me, before the draft. And now, you know, who knows what might happen. I just read a tweet saying he's a guy that uh, someone's looking for uh, or they're monitoring to see if maybe he's traded. So I just saw like a like a like a media person, not not a 49er uh, media person, but just a, a random media person say he mentioned a bunch of people and Dante Pettis was one of the guys he was monitoring to see if he gets moved in the trade. Yeah, Pettis is another one of those guys that just, you know, I mean, he's a He's a, a second round pick that they traded up to get. And then, uh, you know, essentially an undrafted free agent in Kendrick Bourne has, has pushed Pettis to the side and he barely gets any snaps. And, you know, it's just, it's just weird. It's, it's hard to quantify why he has gotten to the point he's gotten to so much of football and especially at wide receivers, a mental game. It's about your own confidence and your own ability, you know, your own belief in yourself. And if you, you know, even great receivers, you know, whether it's at practice or at games, can develop a case of the drops where they just start dropping the ball. You're doing something wrong. You can't figure it out. Your hands start to feel funny. You have no confidence in yourself. You you dread when that ball's about to hit your hands because you just don't have any confidence about catching it. And I've seen kind of those things build up in Dante Pettis. And uh, Crocker spent a lot of time last season uh, or last offseason at the 49ers training camp with me. And, and you just saw like – Pettis was still getting open and he was still doing the things he could do. But when it came to just making the catch and being that reliable go-to target, he just couldn't do it. He just dropped passes often. You know, you saw it throughout last season where, you know, there were a couple times where Garoppolo would throw to Pettis and it would be dropped. And there was that one time that everybody's going to think about where the camera cut to Jimmy Garoppolo and he kind of ripped his chin strap off. And it looked like he said every effing time. You know, like, uh, and that might not have been what he said, but it doesn't even really matter because you could tell by his body language that he was, he was, that was it. He was done. You know, yeah. he was, he was done throwing the ball to Dante Pettis. And there was another catch. I don't know if it was later on in the season where it was on a big third down and Jimmy Garoppolo hit him in the hands and he had to go up and get it. And the throw, it wasn't that the throw was a little late. It was, you know, kind of hung, hung in the air a little bit. And Dante Pettis went up to get it along the sideline and caught it. And then the DB hit him in the back, and he hit the ground and dropped it. And yeah, that was, the I believe, Seahawks game, right? And and that was a huge play. And you know he didn't come through, and that's just you know whether that's fair or not. Like those are the moments you have to capitalize on if you want to stay on the field and if you want the quarterback to throw you the ball. And he just wasn't doing it. And it's really hard to say why. You know, I don't yeah. want to sit here and throw him under the bus and say that he's a fragile dude that you know has no confidence in himself or any of that stuff. But it's that's all you know. That's just what you see. I, I say the thing that might be able to help him the most is maybe not having that the pressure that he had last year. Maybe he's not someone that you know can perform with that type of pressure on him. You know, so maybe this year if he kind of comes in a little bit under the radar and the expectations for him aren't as high, maybe he's not pressing as much, and maybe he can kind of just be you know that third guy and maybe excel in that type of role. I think, uh, you know, maybe a 49ers draft a receiver high and they have Debo 
and you have Kendrick, that takes a little bit of pressure off of Pettis, and then maybe he's able to, you know, maybe he's able to perform a little bit more in that that way. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and if you know, like we mentioned earlier, if he gets the opportunity, if he's not traded, I don't think they'd release him. Um, but if he's not traded, you know, then maybe he gets that opportunity to finally take advantage of and of something. And and we've seen it. He's you know, he had the end of his rookie season. He really started to take off. And the numbers that he was putting up were like wide receiver one type numbers. If you kind of expanded that season out into a full season, but you know that it just it just didn't pan out. I, I have no idea why. So it's a mystery. We'll see. But obviously, you know that's kind of a, a missed pick for the 49ers. That, like Crocker said, it's not necessarily of any fault of their own, but that is what it is. But then right after that, they took Fred Warner, and and I don't think there's anybody in the world that questions that pick. The dude is, and what's crazy is the 49ers were betting on Reuben Foster and Fred Warner being the, the, the Patrick Willis and the Navarro Bowman for the next five, six, whatever years. And, you, and, and, and both of those guys, those guys, I think they've showed the type of talent that they could not necessarily be as good because those guys are, in my opinion, all time great linebackers. But they, I felt like Warner and Foster could be the next great 49ers linebacking core. Like, you know, they could have just they could have been that for the foreseeable future, but obviously things fell apart with Reuben Foster a little later, you know, later in that year. Um, you know, I think it was that offseason where he was going through all his, his domestic violence stuff in court. And, you know, there was another quick little view of Richard Sherman's leadership. He was one of the he was in like every single court case or, you know, visit to the courtroom that Foster had. Sherman was in there. But, you know, obviously Foster worked through the, you know, the legal battle there, and then it ended up getting into more trouble in the season. The 49ers had to part ways, but Fred Warner has done everything he possibly could to help everybody out there forget Reuben Foster because he has been outstanding in every single way. He's been excellent on the field, and he's, uh, you know, he's a mature leader off the field. He's, he's kind of mature beyond his years, and that's another home run for the 49ers as far as draft picks go. And what's cool is uh, Kyle Manson, who, who runs Niners Wire right now, who I used to write for, he was a huge Fred Warner guy before the draft. and He just used to always talk about him, so I knew the name, and I'd watched him play and stuff. And when the 49ers took him, I was like, damn, they got Kyle's guy. And, uh, you know, he's he's worked out, and there's I mean, there's not much more you can say about it. He's just, he's just been everything you could ask for from a, a third-round linebacker. And I think if you did one of those redraft things, he'd be a first round guy. You know, he's just he's just been that good. And then uh, their next third round pick, because I think that year the 49ers had three third round picks or whatever they did. But it was crazy. But their next pick was Tarvarius Moore, who's been an interesting kind of. I think they had two. They they got one with the Trent Brown trade, I believe. Right. Well, but they also traded one for for Pettis. So I think they had three, and then they narrowed it oh, down to two. Okay. I, I don't know. But so their two third-round picks were Fred Warner and Tarverius Moore. So Crocker, talk on Tarverius Moore. Yeah, so so Moore, it was really interesting watching them because I don't even remember exactly how. Maybe they mentioned it on the broadcast, but, I was, you know, he it was clear he was drafted to play cornerback. <laughs> I don't remember why. But, um, I mean, like how we knew that. But he was drafted to play cornerback, and – so I immediately went to the film, and I remember I was watching it with Brian Peacock, and we were just looking, and we're like, uh, I don't really know. You know, but this isn't all 22. You know, this is, you know, YouTube copies, and we're like, uh, 
I don't know what really made them think he's a corner, but all right. You know, he was kind of a cover four um, type of, of – a cover four type safety. Excuse me. Not a whole lot of single high or anything like that, just a lot of quarters coverage. And, uh, you know, obviously they, 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 they put him at corner. And immediately I'm watching, I'm like, well, he's, a, he's an athlete for sure. I can see that right off the bat. He's an athlete. But his movement skills are that of a safety, which would make sense because he's played safety. And I went back and I, like, looked up, you know, huddle highlights from, like, high school, junior college, and everything was him playing safety. There was no film at all of cornerbacks. So I was like, what made them think he could play corner? Maybe does he have those type of movement skills? But when I'm watching him, I was like, I don't see that. And, uh, you know, he had opportunities to play cornerback. Uh, I didn't think that he was terrible. I just thought the whole time he looks like a safety. And uh, sure enough, there were enough injuries this past offseason to move him back to uh, safety. And I think he's trending in the right direction at that position. And, uh, you know, obviously made some plays, had an interception in the Super Bowl, uh, can do a little bit better job uh, being more consistent with his uh, taking his angles. But outside of that, I mean, you know, uh, he was drafted to play cornerback, and now he's a safety, and I think that was the right move to kind of switch his position. What do you think? All right, I think Robbie's having some def, uh, uh, little technical difficulties. Oh, so my I, bad. I, no, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I started talking with my mic still muted. My bad. Oh, okay. My bad. Sorry. At least, hey, at least you were handling it, though, man. That's my bad. I'm sitting here talking about, you know, Tavarius Moore, whatever. So what I was saying to myself while my mic was muted was that Robert Sala started that training camp because obviously Jimmy Ward had to move back or Jimmy Ward got injured and Tarverius Moore kind of was the first man to move back to safety to kind of fill in that, that gap. And at the start of training camp, Robert Sala was like, well, he hasn't really showed me anything to, to become a starting caliber NFL free safety. He hasn't shown me any of that yet. Well, by the end of training camp, the, the script had been completely flipped and Tarverius Moore made a ton of plays and he was making those legitimate free safety plays like single high, you know, sideline to sideline type plays. There was that one pass breakup on George Kittle right in front of me on the sideline where George Kittle ran like a seam that he kind of turned towards the sideline. So by the time the ball got to Kittle, I'd say he was probably four or five yards away from the sideline right at the front of the end zone. And Tavarius Moore had just streaked straight towards him. And it was a deep shot. And right as the ball hit Kittle's hands, Moore broke it up and, and batted it away. It was just a super, super impressive play. And he got his starting chance to start the season. And, you know, things didn't work out, but it wasn't really – I wouldn't say things didn't work out. He did okay. Uh, you know, he had some problems with angles and tackling and stuff like that. But, you know, Jimmy Ward got healthy and he stepped in. And obviously we saw what Jimmy Ward can do when he's healthy. And obviously the, the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have a very high opinion of him. So it wasn't really all that surprising when Ward stepped in. And he did well. And, it you know, it, it wasn't a questionable move. So it'll be interesting. The 49ers did bring Ward back, um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of role Tarverius Moore can carve out for himself. Maybe it's like a third DB and kind of like a dime package or whatever. But the, I would say the jury's still out. We'll see what kind of role he can carve out for himself. But, you know, he's been an interesting pick. And then, you know, to round out the draft, you had Kentavious Street. He's still kind of working his way. He'll He'll have a bigger opportunity this year now that Buckner's gone and he's another year removed from his injury. You know, he's he's just had some trouble coming back. But, you know, for the most part, he's 
He's. I think this year will probably be his biggest opportunity to prove why the 49ers were interested in him, in him in the fourth round. And then you had DJ Reed, who's you know in the fifth round, who's been pretty impressive in 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 most respects. And then after that was Marcel Harris. So Crocker, why don't you take those two? What do you think? Like, what's your opinion of DJ Reed, and what has he developed into for the 49ers? Yeah, I think DJ Reed. He's been a really solid like depth piece. Um, you know, obviously versatile. Uh, he played cornerback at Kansas State. You know, this is a guy that uh, one of say I want to say he went to Fresno State out of high out of high school. He was at he was uh, at Fresno State very briefly. Yeah, yeah, very briefly. Transferred to a junior college. Um, played there. Ended up going to Kansas State. Kansas State. He was a cornerback. Um, played a lot of off coverage. Scrappy guy. One of the best punt returners in the nation, though. I want to say second best, right behind Dante Pettis. Um, so you know, tremendous athlete and. 49ers, you know, like it seemed like they did a lot with Halfley, moved him to safety. And which is weird, right? They had uh they drafted the corner to play safety and drafted the safety to play corner. But uh <laughs> so he moved there and you know, I thought he was just gonna be like more of a nickel guy, but he actually was a reserve safety, um, did play some nickel. I don't think he played any outside corner his rookie year. Uh since then he has played a little bit of everything. So I think overall he he's a he's a solid depth depth piece. Um, and I, I just think that's where I'm at with him right now. Just a, a, a solid reserve, you know, special teamer. And I would like to see him a little bit more like on returns. I know there are a lot of people that um, are kind of up and down with uh, uh, Richie James, and you know we have seen uh, we we have seen DJ Reed do well. Um, or with kickoff returns. So, you know, maybe that's where he'd be able to get a little bit more shine and kind of pay off a little bit more uh, for that draft pick. But overall, I mean, he's still on the roster, and I want to say he's typically active. So that's a that's a plus. Right. And then Marcel Harris has been decent too. Like he's, he's kind of in the same respect. He's a solid death piece. He's got some starting experience because of injury. Um, you know. I think I like him a little bit more than, than most. Right, and and he he started out taking his lumps as you would expect, you know he was against the Saints he was starting and he was like their number one target, you know like he was he was the guy they were going to target with uh, with Cook the tight end and and so he's you know he's taking his lumps but he slowly improved until Tart came back and you know we're talking about fifth and sixth round guys here guys that don't even aren't even guarantees to make a team. You know, so the fact that they've gotten starting action and proved that they can at least be reliable backups is is good. It's impressive. And then right after that was Julian Taylor, who has shown that he can be, you know, a, a pretty impressive defensive lineman. Now he got hurt and it's you know, we'll see how how long it takes him to kind of come back, um, you know, from that. But. It's just that he the, – the limited little snaps he's shown, he's been pretty impressive. And I know he's a guy that's kind of re- regarded as very, very strong, very powerful, kind of a developing guy. He, You know, he could be and, – and just like I said about Street, that's another guy as long as he recovers well, he could be, you know, somebody who gets a big opportunity this year now that DeForest Buckner has been traded. And then last – their last pick of that draft in the seventh round was Richie James, who – has had some splash plays just as a starter or not as a starter, but as a receiver in, in the games. And he's also been the 49ers primary return man. He's, he's returned a kick for a touchdown. Uh, he's also struggled with some kick returns and, and knowing decision-making, knowing what to do with the ball or, you know, what it, it's been weird. Like he, he's just, he's very inconsistent, but 
you know, like I said, that's a seventh round pick that has scored touchdowns in the NFL as a receiver. He scored touchdowns as a kick returner. And if you can kind of pull that stuff out of a seventh round pick, then you're doing something right there. You're just talking about draft picks that have, that don't have a high chance of making the team, especially now that the team's developed. So if the 49ers can keep doing that, that's a good omen. I think I saw a tweet yesterday that the 49ers were among the, the, the teams with, to get the most amount of snaps and the most amount of games from their late round picks or seventh round picks. I can't remember if it was just late round or seventh round. Um, but obviously that's a, that's a dual kind of a dual statistic that points to one, the weakness of the roster and the fact that they needed seventh round guys to step up. But it also speaks to the fact that the 49ers have been able to draft guys that have been able to contribute on an NFL field late in the draft, which is a good thing. That's, that's where you make your money is if you can hit, a little bit on those later picks, then you're, you're doing something right. And that's kind of what building a team. Now, another move that probably won't get a whole lot of love. It, it should now, especially now is the 49ers exercise the fifth year option on Eric Armstead, which ended up being huge because Eric Armstead's fifth year was 2019, which was essentially his breakout year. And it's what prompted the 49ers to give him the contract they just gave him. Um, and then they essentially in a way, chose Eric Armstead over DeForest Buckner. And, you know, Armstead's still on this team and Buckner isn't. So, you know, and like I said, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of, you know, Buckner's value and what he'd be able to be traded for. But picking up that fifth-year option, despite the fact that Armstead had, you know, been hurt for a couple years and hadn't been able to show a lot, you know, he did just get done with, a, you know, his first full healthy seat. Or 2000, I mean, they picked that up before 2018. and 2018, he played a full excuse me, a full season was pretty impressive. Um, but that was kind of a little bit of foresight. Now, obviously, they, they had an amount of time where they could have bailed on that. But picking that up and getting that extra year of Armstead is what allowed him to showcase what he could do this last year and it essentially opened the door for the contract they gave him. So, you know, that was obviously a good move. And then really you're kind of working your way through the season. And the rest of it is kind of, you know, as you work your way through training camp, the 49ers start adding, adding a ton of people. Now, some of the ones that stand out is Emmanuel Mosley. They signed him as an undrafted free agent. And he's now, as currently, he's now the 49ers starting cornerback opposite Richard Sherman. He started in the Super Bowl, and he took Akella Witherspoon's job. And, you know, by all accounts, he's been pretty impressive. And I, I, I'm impressed with him. I know Crocker. I know you like him. And we'll see if he could continue to develop. And if the 49ers draft a corner, you know, this year, whether it's at pick 13, pick 31, or, or, you know, we'll see when it would come after that. We'll see if Emmanuel Mosley can hold off the competition and keep that spot. But, you know, pretty impressive for an undrafted guy to step in. And, and you know, within two years of being signed, he's starting in a Super Bowl, you know, and, yep. and he's not getting exposed. You know, it's not to say he was locked down or anything, but – there was never a point where Emmanuel Mosley was like, man, we got to get this guy off the field, you know, and, right. and he's a, and he's a dog against the run too, which is what I love. Like he loves to come up and hit and make tackles, which is a pretty uncommon trait for a corner. You know, it's, it's just what he is. And I, I'm pretty impressed with him. And then another uh, pretty solid undrafted free agent was Jeff Wilson jr. Um, the running back who, who is, you know, kind of obviously he's been inactive a lot of games, but he's been able to come in and make plays. And he's a pretty impressive runner. He's a beast. You know, kind of the 49ers started to use him as like a goal line guy. I think he's, you know, in like four games or he scored four touchdowns or two games he scored four touchdowns at one point. 
And so he was pretty impressive. And like I said, these are undrafted free agent guys that the 49ers are finding to come in and make an impact, just like Kendrick Bourne, just like Matt Breida, you know, stuff like that. And that's that's the front office. That's the front office finding talent that no one else has found. And, you know, that's if you can do that, you're doing something right. They signed Mike Person to a one-year deal, which obviously ended up developing into their starting offensive lineman over the uh, – a starting offensive lineman over the past two years. You know, he was, he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl as well. Or, and obviously they just released him after signing him to a three year deal this offseason. Um, but, you know, just to be able to bring in a guy like that and get that much out of him is, is pretty impressive. So, you know, the 49ers have been able to kind of, they seem like they've got an eye for talent, you know, and, and they're doing it. Obviously, you don't build your team up to a Super Bowl contender in three years and not have an eye for talent. Um, one of the last like big time free agent moves or well, not free agent move, but you know, bookkeeping moves is they signed Lincoln Tomlinson to a three year extension extension, the 49ers left guard. He's been outstanding. They traded essentially nothing to the Lions to get him. And he's just been a really, really reliable starter. So obviously that's been a little bit of a come up for the 49ers. And I'm kind of just looking through here, looking at everything. I mean, they picked up Alfred Morris, who played a big pretty big role throughout that year. Um but I mean, nothing else. Am I missing anything, Croc? Nah, I think I think that's. I think we covered everything. I mean, obviously, Marvin Foster fell away. That was part of that season. Yeah. Um, you know, but that they, he didn't leave them any choice. Another good year of roster building. You know, just kind of building it and trending it in the right direction. Kind of forming the team uh, in the vision that Kyle and John have. You know, and it was always going to be a process. Um, and those first two years. It was just a part of the process, um, you know, just a part of the process, man. And, you know, it's been a long process and it was something that most people knew wouldn't happen overnight. But, you know, I think it was it was very necessary. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to put it. It was there's so many pieces that you can look at in 2018 and see that the 49ers added that just played a very critical role in taking them to that next step. You know, obviously, Richard Sherman was the main one. But it's just you can go through and just see this pattern of solid decision-making. Now, that doesn't mean that every decision was solid. We talked about this last week. If, you're, if you didn't listen last week, one of the most important things I feel like I've said was is a, a GM in the NFL is like a baseball player. Like if you can bat over 300, you're considered an excellent baseball player. And the same thing goes for general managers. If you can – if one third of the players that you sign or that you draft end up contributing to your team in a significant way, then you're considered a good GM. That's just the way it is. And so I feel like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and I always mention them together because they do, they seem like they do everything together, have done a good job of that. And if anything, they're, you know, the 2017, they took it in the chin, but 2018 seems like a pretty strong class, uh, you know, solid class. 2019, we'll, we'll get there next week. Seems like a solid class. So, you know, they're they're doing everything right. I mean, they for a, for a, a a hire in John Lynch that came out of nowhere and nobody expected it. I feel like he has stood on his own and has been able to establish himself as a a, a real reputable, you know, general manager. And whether or not he. You know, I don't really care who's taking credit for these picks, whether it's John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan or, you know, Adam Peters working alongside of them. I don't I don't know who gets the majority of the credit. I just know they're doing a pretty good job. And 
like I said, you don't get to the Super Bowl in year three after having one of the worst rosters in the NFL unless you're doing something right. So, right. And I think going into this year, I think somebody said uh, 49ers have like the third best uh, roster in the NFL. So. Right. So they're still right there in it. And, you know, they're, they're obviously they're now they're getting to the point of team building where they have to make the tough decisions like trading somebody like DeForest Buckner and stuff. And that's just the way it goes when your team gets this good and has this amount of success, you can't pay everybody. You can't keep everybody. You're going to just have to walk the fine line of keeping the guys you feel are indispensable and getting the maximum valuable value for the ones that you, that aren't. And, you know, if you want an example of that, look at the Patriots. I mean, every year, I mean, maybe not this year, this year's been a little weird for them, but every year it seemed like they were getting rid of an elite player, you know, because for some reason or another, and that player would go on to be, you know, get a huge contract somewhere else. And that, and yet they would still be competitive because they were keeping the guys they felt they like they had to keep and they were parting ways with the guys they felt like they, they had to, or they, you know, they really had no choice. And that's what the, that's where the 49ers are now. You know, when you're trading somebody like the Forrest Buckner, who's an elite player and uh, you know, both on and off the field, then you know, you're at that point where you're making the tough decisions. So we'll see how that pans out. And a lot of how that pans out will have to do with what, who they take at 13, who they take at 31 and, and all that stuff. So, um, but I think that's it for us today. I mean, obviously probably one of the longest episodes we've ever done. We're at an hour and a half right now. But, you know, you got to hear a lot of good stuff. Crocker's wide receivers and his top five and his way of thinking. And then, obviously, recapping 2018 for the 49ers. Hopefully, we didn't miss anything. Um, if we did, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I said, we've been talking a lot. And hit us up on Twitter. Let us know if we did. You can find me at Rob underscore Louder. And you can find Eric at underscore Crocker. Um, hit us up. Tell us you listened. Tell us you got this far. <laughs> If you've been listening to us, to us for an hour and a half, I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys are legit. You've been great in, in keeping this, keeping striking gold going and helping it become what it is. Um, next week, we will be back here talking about 2019. And, you know, at that time, we'll be just, you know, a couple weeks before the draft. We'll probably hit 2019 next week. And then probably the week after that, we'll do some type of to mailbag where you guys can get your questions in. And we'll talk about that. But that's it for us today. Again, appreciate you guys. Wash your hands. Stay at home. Um, be safe. And we will see you next week. Striking Gold, signing out. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.